so do you want to step up there? Sure, I mean, yes. or how comfortable are you? Yeah, I'm I mean, good. I'm okay. good. Actually, maybe Tommy, you can hold. I can hold this uh, mic for you until you get up there. Yeah, it's, it's nice and sturdy. You just got to remember where you are. <laughs> I'm climbing up the side of a big, unusual kind of truck parked outside the Livingston Stone National Fish Hatchery, just below Shasta Dam. At the top, wearing black galoshes, is Bo Hopkins of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Yeah, I'm, I'm standing in a, approximately three foot of water right now, and I'm surrounded by fish, all kinds of males and female salmon, winter-run salmon and spring-run uh, Chinook salmon. He's a fish culturist, someone who breeds fish. And we are going through them right now and tagging them and taking a genetic punch out of them. The tagging and punching is to help one species of Chinook salmon, the winter run, an endangered species. In the 1990s, alarmed by the low numbers of returning winter run Chinook, the federal government built this conservation hatchery. They named it after Livingston Stone, a 19th century fish culturist who famously set up this area's first hatchery. Bo Hopkins reaches down and grabs a smallish fish from the lot. He holds it up for me to see. Like the others, this fish was caught in traps about eight miles downriver at a dam that went up shortly after Shasta. It's now the furthest the salmon can swim. From the traps, the fish are loaded onto this truck that brings them to here. So this is a nice male winter-run Chinook salmon. The government would like to use a winter-run fish like this to reintroduce salmon into the McLeod River. The McLeod is one of the main tributaries of Shasta Dam, and the fish have not swum there since the 1940s, when the dam was built. How can you tell it's a male? Uh, I'm looking at the hook jaw and it's a little bit slender. It's dark in color. It has a lot of good male features to it. He punches a hole in one of its fins. About the size of what you would get out of a hole punch. The sample will be sent up to a genetics lab in Washington state. And they will be able to tell us whether it is a winter run or not. It will also look at other genetic markers to help hatchery employees pick the most diverse group of salmon to breed. Any winter run not used for breeding will be trucked back, near to where they were found. And they can spawn naturally in the river there, in the Sacramento River there. Spring run fish are also migrating upriver at this time of year. And like the winter run, they're trying to get above the dams. So they too get caught in the traps. So this is an example of a fish that's probably gonna be a spring run. Uh, it's a lot more silvery. Um, it's got a lot more life left in it. Bo Hopkins holds the fish in his hands, and I look this large, silvery creature in the eye. And something happens inside of me. It's like I sense its weariness, how far it's traveled. Thousands of miles from spawning grounds to the ocean, up and down the coast, and then returning up the river again. The Winnemawintu have told me that Chinook salmon are a magical fish. And now I get it. It is a living, sentient creature. Its determination is palpable. Right now, it's a fish out of water, unable to reach its final destination. Its destiny has become part of the legacy of Shasta Dam. 
the Winnemum Wintu want to change that. From KLW's The Spiritual Edge, this is A Prayer for Salmon, an audio documentary about the Winnemum Wintu people and their clash with Northern California's Shasta Dam. I'm Judy Silber. I'm here with Lila June Johnston again. So Lila, you wrote a song called Time Traveler that was in part influenced by the Winnemum Wintu. Time Traveler running faster, warrior is born. Yeah, I called it Time Traveler because, in a way, even though our bodies don't make it into the future because we die, our actions do ripple out through time. And so I really wanted to, to, to articulate, like, what does it mean to be a good ancestor, to think forward into the future. There's a place in the Winnemum Wintu McLeod River Basin where one of their ancestors planted these fruit trees. And that actually is mentioned in my song because the Winnemum Wintu, along with many other elders across the nation that I've been lucky to learn from, uh, they inspired that line, you know, to, to plant trees whose fruit you will never taste for people you'll never meet. Protecting cycles of rain and cycles of snow, fighting for children whose names I will never know. I look up and read the messages written all across the sky. Messages telling us that it's time to evolve or die. It's time to live this life right. So that when our children look back, they look back with pride. Chapter 9. A War Dance and a Prophecy. The Winnemum Wintu are busy planting seeds for the future, including efforts to return salmon to the McLeod River, the heart of their homelands. They've never given up hope they could get them back. The government is focused on saving just the winter run. The Winnemum Wintu want all salmon runs back in their river. But for a long time, they didn't know how to deal with the challenge of Shasta Dam. That began to change in 2004. The U.S. Bureau of Reclamation was ramping up plans for the Shasta Dam and Reservoir Enlargement Project. This was a real low point for Winnemum Wintu morale. The dam's original construction had caused so much damage, and now a bigger dam threatened more of their sacred sites. Sites the Winnemum Wintu considered critical for the continuation of their culture. The idea of a higher dam disturbed them a lot because they're trying to slide it in. And we're going through this the second time. They've already burdened us one time with flooding all of our places and, and us coming up with nothing. When the original dam was built back in the 1940s, no one asked the Winnemumwintu what they thought. This time around, they had a chance to give input. Before submitting official responses, they went up into the mountains to pray. You know, we're trying to file all these papers, take those papers to the mountains, we pray over those papers before we submit them. And uh, we were told that we need to tell the world, you're gonna do this war dance and it's gonna help you. They were to do a war dance. And so uh, then it was like, well, where are we gonna do this? And, and that's what they said, you gotta do it at the uh, 
the weapon of mass destruction. That's the dam. Shasta Dam. For us, that's the weapon of mass destruction. She tells me this is a prayer that came down from the mountains. When you say that prayers come down from the mountain, what mountains are we talking about? Uh, like a council of the mountains came together and, and decided this is what we could do. Because, you know, who are we? We have no power. We have no money. We have no champions in Congress. I mean, nobody even listens to us. So we follow the, the council of the mountains. Chief Kelly's son, Michael Preston, says they were being called to a spiritual fight. They call it a war dance, but it's not really talking about war. Over the years, Michael and I have had several big conversations about the spiritual and its place in the Winnemumwintu worldview. He says the war dance is part of a larger fight. It's basically just not giving up on our, our sacred sites and our animals and the spirits and showing them that we're not going to give up and opposing anything that is threatening our way of life and threatening our homelands and the Shasta Dam is one of them and is has been one of them. The problem was in 2004, none of the Winnemumwintu knew what their war dance looked like. The last one took place before any of them were born. A fish expert by the name of Livingston Stone arrived to California in 1872. On orders of the U.S. Fish Commission, he set up the West Coast's first salmon hatchery, built on their river, the McLeod. The Winnemumwintu didn't like the idea of a white man messing with their fish. In his writings, Livingston Stone described a demonstration that took place on the banks of the McLeod. They assembled in force with their bows and arrows on the opposite bank of the river and spent the whole day in resentful demonstrations or, as Mr. Woodbury expressed it, in trying to drive us off. Had they thought they could succeed in driving us off with impunity to themselves, they undoubtedly would have done so and have hesitated at nothing to accomplish their object. But the terrible punishments which they have suffered from the hands of the whites for past misdeeds are too vivid in their memories to allow them to attempt any open or punishable violence. So, at night, they went off and seemed subsequently to accept, in general, the situation. The Winnemumwintu risked their lives to dance. During that time, white settlers often showed no mercy toward Native people. They would kill Indians on sight at that time. No problem. They killed them like dogs, you know. They killed them like squirrels. They killed them like whatever. They killed them like, uh, like nothing. And then in the, at the risk of that, they still did the dance because that's what they're supposed to do. That's what the spirits told them to do because they were messing around with the salmon, manipulating their life, changing their natural instinct of what salmon are. That's against the laws of creation. What are you guys doing? You're breaking the spiritual law. <laughs> and we're in, in our responsibility is to stop you. The war dance showed the Winnemumwintu's fierceness and commitment. It also gave rise to a prophecy that wouldn't make sense until much later. The message came through of the salmon going through the ice waterfall. It was going to go away from the river. At the time, they were like, well, how's, how's the salmon going to go away? 
At that point, salmon were incredibly plentiful. In his reports to the government, Livingston Stone wrote with wonder about their abundance. I have never seen anything like it anywhere, not even on the tributaries of the Columbia. On the afternoon of the 15th of August, there was a space in the river where if a person could have balanced himself, he could actually have walked anywhere on the backs of the salmon. They were so thick in the river in July that we counted a hundred salmon jumping out of the water in the space of a minute. The Winamumwintu didn't approve of the hatchery, but they worked there. It offered a measure of protection from settlers who were quickly encroaching on their traditional territory. The Winamumwintu helped catch salmon to harvest and fertilize their eggs. Livingston Stone described their skill. The Indian swimmers, their dark heads just showing above the white foam, screaming and shouting in the icy waters and brandishing their long poles, came down the rapids at great speed, disappearing entirely now and then as they dove down into a deep hole. You're listening to A Prayer for Salmon from KALW's The Spiritual Edge. This is an 11-part series. To hear the rest of it, search for The Spiritual Edge in any podcast app or go to thespiritualedge.org. Now back to the story. The McLeod River hatchery that Livingston Stone set up sent salmon eggs all around the world, to the East Coast, to Hawaii, to Canada, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. Then in 1935, the hatchery closed down for good. Shasta Dam went up. It displaced the Winnemumwintu from the McLeod River and blocked salmon from swimming upstream. Half a century later, Colleen Sisk became chief of the Winnemumwintu. She took over leadership from her great-aunt Florence Jones, who died in 2003. A short time later, plans to build Shasta Dam higher began ramping up. The Winnemumwintu confronted the idea of loss, all over again. Not too long after, the Winamumwintu received that message to revive the war dance. It hadn't been done in more than 100 years. We didn't even have songs for war dance, right? And so, and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to do this war dance. I just have to believe we're going to do this war dance and that it will come together and we'll know what we're doing. Community members started to have dreams and visions. And so every person, whether whatever age they are, they might come up and say, hey, I had this dream about this, or I saw it like this, or um, what color it was, or all of those things. You know, it's a, it's a shared event that we're getting ready for, and everybody who's getting ready could be a vessel for information. In addition to figuring out regalia, dances, songs, they needed a permit from the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. We went to the Bureau of Reclamation. We said, this is what we need to do. We need to do that right over here on the dam. And so our dates, because we do things in fours, so four days, which included 9-11, and I said, oh, no, you can't be dancing 9-11. It's like, okay, so we'll move it. The Winamumwintu agreed to change the date 
to avoid the anniversary of the 9-11 New York Twin Tower attacks. But the haggling didn't stop there. Because we said we have to have a fire, we have to uh, have that in the ground, and they said, oh no, you can put that in a barbecue pit, but you can't put it on the ground. Then we have to be there 24-7 for four days. They said, oh no, no, no. You have to put that fire out at 10 o'clock at night, and you can come back at 6 o'clock in the morning and light it up again. It's like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's like once we light that sacred fire, we have to stay over. We have to tend that fire. And so after one of those meetings, I went out there and I put tobacco down on the place where the fire was going to be. The next meeting we had with the Bureau of Reclamation, they had uh, given us the permit in the name of the Wintu tribe, which is basically recognition of our tribe, right? And they had uh, given us everything we we wanted. All righty. Thank you so much for coming to the press conference for the Winnemuwintu War Dance. The war dance began on September 12, 2004. The Winnemuwintu gathered at a grassy area on federal property within view of Shasta Dam spillway. News media showed up, as did environmental activist Julia Butterfly Hill. She'd gained national recognition when she occupied an ancient redwood tree for two years to stop it from being logged. And sometimes it's very hard to make people understand why issues like this are important when they live in cities maybe like Chicago or New York City or a big city somewhere, a native elder taught me a beautiful thing and said, Julia, what some of you would call resources, we call relatives. And so I am here today to call upon the people across America to begin to recognize our responsibility as a sacred responsibility to protect relatives and to begin to look at the way we use the sacred earth and all that's on it. Chief Colleen also spoke before the small crowd. All right, thank you for coming and uh, being interested in our situation here. All of this audio of the war dance comes from filmmaker Toby McLeod, who was there. We are the Winnemumwintu tribe of Northern California here and have survived the development of the Americas and the statehood of California. It's worth repeating that Chief Kalin Sisk was a relatively new leader at this point. Under her leadership, the Winnemumwintu were taking on the U.S. government with a war dance. She told me later it wasn't without fear. At the press conference, she spoke of sacred sites threatened by the proposed dam expansion. We visit and take care of and practice at our sacred sites all along the McLeod River up to Mount Shasta. But even back in 2004, salmon were top of mind. Federal agencies had yet to publicly discuss restoring Chinook populations above Shasta Dam. But at the press conference, Chief Kalin pushed the idea. And so this dance is for, partly for them, to try to bring the salmon home. People want to see a, an increased population of salmon. We'll let them go upstream, let them go up the rivers, and they'll multiply. There'll be more salmon if you give them back the beds that they were familiar with. You know, they run here and they stop right here. No salmon go up to the Prairie Nation. No salmon go up to the Shasta Nation. No salmon come up for the Winnemums. We're salmon people, all of us. 
upriver. We're all salmon people connected to this river. And because we have no salmon, our diets and our health status has diminished. And we suffer from not having the salmon with us. So today we are here to tell the river, to tell the salmon, to tell the world and we're still a people and that we have the right for cultural preservation. And we're hoping that all the good people of the country, all the good people of the state, the good people that uh, are in powerful positions will hear us. For four days and nights, the warriors danced in front of a sacred fire. They fasted. They never left the grounds, spending the night in sleeping bags around the fire. It was their first time to perform this dance, but from then on, it became part of their repertoire during big ceremonies. Here's Rick Wilson, the Winnemumwintu dance captain, speaking about the warrior's intentions. He says, this is me and this is who I am. And the fire looks them over and checks them out. You know, to see if we're worthy of that, to be a war dancer, to be a warrior for our tribe. But that's what, one of the things that, that this dance does is it brings out the spirit. It brings out the things that are in Mother Earth. That's why we have this drum that sounds, it sits down inside Mother Earth. And we pound on it. That day at the dance, the young women of the tribe dressed in white. Chief Colleen told filmmaker Toby McLeod they were the water girls. She also talked about the meaning of a song they sang about the Lindata Nur, or the old-time salmon. That song says, Upchonas, the Nalda Boimim Winna. The warriors don't like the big water they see. And then when they say, Linda Nur Lohe Winna is that we want to, we want the old salmon, old way, old time, big salmon, and lots of them come back up. You want to see them again. When we didn't know that song two days ago, but did you hear it being sung? As if we knew that for years. On the fourth day of dancing, a Winnemumwintu man who embodied the spirit of the bear came out to dance with the warriors as well. If you'd said to us, you know, a month ago, what are you going to do? What will the dance look like? You know, we were told these things from the creator. You know, the bear decided he wanted to come. And he decided when he would come in <laughs> to give us strength. It's like that last leg that you're running. We're on our last day, which is the hardest for our warriors who are fasting. So he's lending that strength to them. What came next surprised Chief Kalin. 87 newspapers around the world picked up the story that this small tribe declared war against the United States and danced on the dam. Including the New York Times and the Associated Press. To me, this is where the Winnemumwintu story gets a little fantastical. Like if you were writing a novel, it's the twist you'd want to make up. 
Remember when I told you that Chief Colleen wanted wild eggs from really far away? Well, here's what that was about. A few months after news of the war dance went around the world, they got an email from a professor in New Zealand. He wrote, we have your fish. It got the Winamamwintu thinking about how to get them back. Special thanks to filmmaker Toby McLeod for use of his recordings at the 2004 war dance. On the next chapter of A Prayer for Salmon, the Winamamwintu fly to New Zealand and meet their fish. It was almost like they knew we were coming or they knew, you know, who we were. It was pretty incredible. That's on the next episode of A Prayer for Salmon from KALW's The Spiritual Edge. you're listening to is In the River by Ray Zaragoza. A Prayer for Salmon is a project of the Spiritual Edge at KALW Public Radio. To hear the rest of the series, look for the Spiritual Edge in your podcast app or go to thespiritualedge.org. That's also where we have beautiful photos from the series. I'm Judy Silber. Thanks for listening. Our sisters and our brothers We are camping out for each other We are stronger when we bend together And we're standing up for the water Don't poison Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network